Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davison. It is Sunday the 26th of March and what a glorious day it is wherever you are around the country but particularly particularly for the great state of New South Wales. Not a way that I would usually describe that state but there's no question that after 12 years of dark and terrible Tory rule with multiple premiers and multiple scandals Finally, finally, the people of New South Wales have thrown the Tories out and elected a Chris Minns-led Labor government. Anyone who has been following this election will have come into Saturday night's count expecting a tight result, expecting, as indeed I did, that we may not even know the results as of this morning. However, it became immediately apparent as the votes started to come in that the swing was on. All of the media narrative in the lead up to the election was how tight the election was, what a good job Dominic Perrottet had done. In fact, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Sydney Morning Herald wrote an op-ed saying that Dominic Perrottet should be re-elected and given a chance to govern. This is despite his school voucher program, despite public schools in the state of New South Wales being among the worst funded, the worst resourced in the country, even though, even though those public schools continue, continue to get good and better results often than private schools in that state. This is despite the fact that New South Wales was one of the few states that doesn't have minimum staffing levels in its public health sector. Despite the fact that its public transport system had been racked by unrest caused caused by the Liberal government and indeed by Bevan, by Bevan from the Sydney Morning Herald himself, who insisted that lockouts were somehow strikes. The people of New South Wales have seen through this avalanche of media nonsense, the late, late run that was given across multiple media outlets, the billionaire-owned media, and indeed the ABC, promoting Dominic Perrottet's wife and her struggles. Now, I don't wish to uh, belittle Dominic Perrottet's wife or the challenges that she has faced in her life. They are challenges for her and her family to have dealt with, I'm sure. But it's important to remember that when Dominic Perrottet's brother was on the run from a parliamentary inquiry, Dominic Perrottet refused to answer questions about that on the basis of not wanting to bring his family into the election. Of course, when it became clear from focus group tests, one would assume they were focus group tests, that his wife was seen as a more sympathetic character than he was, hardly surprising given that while he was a member of government, a senior member of cabinet, in fact, he stood in front of a packed room of people and said that priests who confess their sins against children of a sexual nature in the confessional should not be should not be able to have that used as evidence against them. Hardly surprising that that man is not a very sympathetic character. Now, Dominic Perrottet has lost the election, and of course, both Dominic Perrottet and Chris Minns talked about the positive uh, nature of their campaign and the media today on insiders was keen to reinforce that point. There's no question there was a lot of positive policies 
put forward by both sides, a lot of this is what we want to do in the future. But we shouldn't actually gloss over the negatives of more than a decade of liberal misrule. The power station that was sold to a donor for a dollar and then who resold it for $100 million. That is a huge misuse of taxpayer resources. The privatisation of numerous state government assets, the highest tolling government in Australian history, the discriminatory nature of their lockdown program that saw vast tracts of Western Sydney locked down while people in Bondi and the North Shore were able to enjoy time at the beach. And let me break down for you what this has meant for the Liberal National Coalition. It has meant that they have suffered swings against them. The Liberals have suffered a 4.7% swing against their primary vote. Their vote is down to 27.3%. The Nationals, a 2.1% swing against them. Their vote is down to 7.5%. Combined, combined, they get to about 34.8% of the vote. About one in three, about one in three people in New South Wales. Labor has a swing to it of 3.8, getting it to 37.1% of the primary vote. I've always said, and Van often says as well, that there are basically two parties in Australia, the Labor Party and the non-Labor parties. New South Wales once again proved that point. The Greens, who were very happy to crow about potentially holding Balmain, a seat that most commentators are saying is still too close to call, only increased their vote by 0.6%. They get a grand total of 10%. One in 10 people in New South Wales vote for the Greens. To put that into context, One Nation increased their vote by 0.7%. That's right, the One Nation vote went up by more as a percentage than the Green vote. Now, overall, of course, One Nation didn't win any seats, won't win any seats, and their overall vote remains at about 2%. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't Forget that in the Legislative Council, the New South Wales Upper House, so often overlooked on election night, there have been big, big swings as well. 9.6% swing to Labor. Labor's Upper House vote is just about at 40%, 39.3% to be precise. The Liberal National combined ticket in the Upper House is only 31%, down 3.8%. These are big, big swings. It shows a real mood for change. And quite frankly, it amazes me that the billionaire-owned media and the ABC were unable to get off their hobby horses and focus on the issues that were actually of importance to everyday working people. And, of course, by this I mean their complete fixation on pokies. And it happened again last night on the ABC. The one topic that was spoken about far more than any other topic, any other policy issue, was gambling reform. Now, gambling reform was a key part of Dominic Perrottet's re-election bid. Labor has a policy on gambling reform. 
but it hasn't focused much of its campaign time on it. Why? Because that's not an issue for the vast majority of people in New South Wales. It's an issue that people in New South Wales and, in fact, around the country want governments to deal with, but it's not a campaign issue. Campaign issues are what are the points of difference in how you will manage the economy, what you will do with wages, with jobs, with schools, with hospitals, with roads, with infrastructure. These are the points of difference that Labor was able to show. And yet, somehow or another, the media remains on this hobby horse, that somehow or another, this issue of gambling reform is the ultimate issue. Even when it comes to talking about climate change, we continually see the media fail to understand that unless these issues are framed appropriately, they will not get traction with the public. We saw it on Insiders today, this very brief conversation on Insiders about the safeguard mechanism and it passing or not passing in this final week of Parliament before the budget. We have to understand that existential threats like climate change, like problem gambling, like even privatisation and neoliberal economics, have to be centred and grounded in their real-world impact for people. What the Greens failed to do and continually failed to do around climate change is talk about people. Climate change will have a massive impact on people. That's why Labor has policies to mitigate climate change. That's why Labor and the Labor movement are so keen on having a just transition. That's why Michelle O'Neill, president of the ACTU, will be addressing the National Press Club on Tuesday to talk about what a just transition and climate mitigation looks like, how workers can be at the centre of the opportunities of mitigating climate change, of transitioning our economy to cleaner energy away from dirtier energy. That's why it's so important to join your union, to be part of that discussion. AustralianUnions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, to join your union. Don't forget to check out Michelle O'Neill's National Press Club speech on Tuesday. I'm sure it'll be on iView for those of us who have to work on Tuesday during the middle of the day. And of course, we'll discuss it on the week on Wednesday. But the media has to understand that this was not a close election. Labor has won government in New South Wales from opposition now three times. This is the second since World War II. The other occasions it won by one seat. It's currently winning by one seat. It's projected, it's projected to win by as many as four or five. That would make it a record-breaking Labor win. This was not a close election. The seats that Labor has won, East Hills, yes, that was a very narrow margin. Camden, that was a margin of 7.3%. Parramatta, that was a margin of 6.5%. Penrith, you had former Minister uh, Stuart Ayres as the member in Penrith, who has now lost with a huge swing against him. Riverstone, a seat where the margin was 6.2%. Ride, where Victor Dominello, very popular minister, was retiring but had strongly endorsed Jordan Lane. 
well-known, youngest mayor in that area in its history, I believe. But again, 8.9% margin swing and clearly, comfortably swinging to Labor. Double-digit swings here. Monaro, we had Steve Wan coming out of retirement and winning the seat that had an 11.6% margin. The South Coast was picked up by Labor. Terrigal picked up by Labor. That's a seat on the Central Coast with a 12.3% margin. And Independents have picked up Wakehurst, where Brad Hazard, who Matt Keane on election night uh, referred to somehow as some sort of great minister, uh, some great figure of politics. I mean, Brad Hazard has said some just extraordinarily terrible things over the years, quite frankly, and, and his retirement could not have come soon enough. Clearly for the Liberals, though, he represented their values quite strongly because the 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 local mayor, Michael Regan, has taken that seat from the Liberal Party. And then Wallandilly looks as though it will go to Judy Hannum, who was effectively a teal. Now, there are other seats still in play as well. And I want to give a big shout out here to uh, our good friend Simon Earle, who is ahead in the seat of Miranda, a seat with a margin of over 14%. He's 150 votes ahead when counting was stopped last night, even though Anthony Green seemed keen to give it to, uh, to the Liberals. Labor is ahead. Simon Earle is ahead. There's a 14.8% swing to Labor. And, of course, uh, other outlets, The Guardian included, have it as too close to call. This has been a thunderous victory for Labor. There's no question. The Liberals are reduced to 15 seats. The Nationals have nine. We're talking about an opposition that will probably have 31 or 32 seats versus a Labor government of somewhere between 47 and 51. The Greens to have two or three. It's a long way back. Some of those margins now have blown right out, right out. Why? Because Labor ran on issues that matter to people. The wages cap. Let's be really clear about this as well. The billionaire media and the ABC both campaigned against Anthony Albanese's Labor Party wages policy. They campaigned against Chris Minns's Labor Party wages policy. And what has been the result? Thunderous victories for Labor. Why? Because working people want governments that try to raise their wages. They do not want governments that artificially cap wages, that drive down their pay, and that erode their living standards. Quite frankly, the media has to have a good hard look in the mirror. This is just the latest election where they have got it so very badly wrong. And the polls, as we discussed on the week on Wednesday, clearly showed this result was on the cards. And yet we had Channel 9 News, news News.com, Sky News, the Sydney Morning Herald, all running that it was very tight, that it was a tight contest, that it was going to be the tightest election race in a generation. 
and that Chris Minns might even lose his own seat of Cogra. Chris Minns got a swing of almost 16% to him in the seat of Cogra. Why? Because he talked about having more teachers in schools, better resources for students, talked about having minimum staffing standards in public hospitals. He talked about ending privatisation and reducing the everyday cost of simply driving on the roads of New South Wales and stopping profiteering creeping into the supply of water in the same way that it has the supply of electricity. These are core fundamental policy decisions. Matt Keane on the ABC last night said that the Liberal Party had a comprehensive tolling policy. I don't think there's any question about that, Matt. I think the problem is your comprehensive tolling policy was to comprehensively toll the people of New South Wales, and they didn't like it. They don't like it. They don't want it. Now, fundamentally, the Liberal Party is in an existential crisis. There's no question about that. And yet, and yet, the Liberal Party seems unable to wrangle itself to deal with it. As Tony from Redbridge on the ABC said last night, former Liberal Party strategist, it's hard to admit you've got an ugly baby. The Liberals are an ugly baby. The party of Menzies is no more. Led by Peter Dutton at a federal level, chaotic in just about every state and territory, they now hold government only in Tasmania. They are effectively a rump in just about every other state. Even in Victoria, we've seen scenes this week where the leader of the Liberal Party does not have the authority, cannot simply chastise and expel a member of his caucus from the party. He may well manage to expel her from the party room, but will not be able to expel her from the party, as was mentioned on Insiders Today because he does not have the authority, despite the fact, despite the fact that she continues and unrepentantly continues to espouse hatred against trans Victorians, trans Australians, and in fact, trans people everywhere. And that she attended, did not leave, attended and stayed at a rally where Nazis marched and saluted and unfurled a banner in support of her cause. Somehow or another, the Liberal Party doesn't think that justifies expulsion from the party. She didn't leave the rally when they appeared. She didn't shut it down. She didn't walk away. She stayed and she continued to participate. Whatever excuses she may offer, that's the Liberal Party that people see. And you can see it in those seats that I mentioned, that there are seats where there are increasingly middle-class, working-class people, seats where there are first-generation migrants, second-generation migrants, third-generation migrants who want a government that looks out for their interests, doesn't fight phony culture wars. Hopefully, our good friend Simon Elk will get over the line in Miranda. There is still going to be some counting. 
but will be some seats that are close. But there's no question that the election itself was a huge win for Labor. The two-party preferred estimate as of this morning was 54.3% to Labor, 45.7% to the coalition. Now, I want to talk about the voice to Parliament because the referendum question has been announced. It was announced by Anthony Albanese this week in a very emotional press conference. And the question is this, a proposed law to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? Now, I'm talking about this in the context of the long discussions that were had on Insiders this morning and the New South Wales state election and the other recent state and federal elections that we've had. Because quite frankly, this idea that we have to have bipartisan support for the referendum to succeed is not one that I subscribe to. Not at all. Would it be nice to have bipartisan support? Absolutely. It's always nice when there are more people who agree with the majoritarian position than if there are fewer. Because ultimately, it makes a more harmonious society. But quite frankly, Peter Dutton was against marriage equality. He was against the apology to the stolen generations. And if Peter Dutton decides that he is against that question, I really couldn't care less. Because as we've seen last night, Labor has the capacity to win a majority of the population on these sorts of questions in a majority of states. And the referendum is a binary. Do you approve this proposed alteration? Yes or no? Not yes, if you do this. Not no, but I would like this. It is a binary yes or no question. And people will have to make a decision about whether or not they want the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice or not. That's the question. If Peter Dutton doesn't want to support that, that's up to him. If Lydia Thorpe doesn't want to support that, that's up to her. But consistently, the feedback that I'm seeing, people in the street responding to the T-shirts that I'm wearing, from all sorts of age and uh, socioeconomic and cultural demographics, is that people think it's about time we got this done. So while Insiders Today had Mark Dreyfus, the Attorney General, talking about some of the legal ins and outs of that question and of the Constitutional Referendum Working Group uh, that has been discussing it, the majority of Australians still support the voice and the majority of the states still support the voice. The only state where there's not a majority, and it's very, very narrow, let's say this, 51% no in Queensland versus 49% yes. It's a binary, yes or no. That's it. Every other state and territory at this stage still supports the yes position. So what does this mean? 
Well, here are some of the guiding principles. The voice will give independent advice to parliament and government. The voice will be chosen by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people based on the wishes of local communities. The voice will be representative of Indigenous communities with a gender balance and youth. The voice will be empowering, community-led, inclusive, respectful and culturally informed. The voice will be accountable and transparent. The voice will work alongside existing organisations and traditional structures. The voice will not have a program delivery function. The voice will not have a veto power. It also says that the Parliament shall, subject to this constitution, have power to make laws and respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers and procedures. It's a very clear yes or no question. Very clear yes or no question. And in a country where the continental landmass of Australia is read from the furthest point to the west, back to the furthest point to the east, from the southern tip to the northern tip, where Labor governments govern the land, we should be able to make this happen. It bothers me, it bothers me that on Insiders Today, the spokesperson for the AFR from the boss's pamphlet tried to both sides the issue of turf and Nazi hatred towards trans people. It bothers me that their final observation was the instability of the banking system, which has come about because of loose regulations and an economic model that, quite frankly, the boss's pamphlet has promoted at every turn. It bothers me that they offered very little, very little in terms of positive affirmation of why we need the voice and instead tried to suggest that without the support of Peter Dutton, it would not succeed. It bothers me because billionaire-owned media Bosses' pamphlets, and yes, even on occasion, the ABC continue, continue to fail in their duty to understand what is happening in our communities. They continue to highlight the loudest voices rather than the most influential. I don't really care if the Sky News commentators want the Liberal Party to move more to the right. They can squeal and scream about that all they like, and I hope Peter Dutton listens to them. But when it comes to the ABC, when it comes to mainstream media, even though it is still billionaire-owned, I expect a bit more news, a bit more nuance, and a little less laziness. Quite frankly... New South Wales state election, Victorian state election, the federal election, and increasingly when it comes to the voice, we're seeing lazy, lazy approaches to these discussions. And quite frankly, I recall the marriage equality debate, it being much the same. Some of the very vocal, very loud, but unsupported out-of-step and out-of-touch voices getting vast amounts of media coverage. And once again, we start to see that happen 
here with the voice, and we see it with the issue of TERFs and Nazis. Those rallies held by that foreigner who came to our country to demonize our people were tiny, tiny rallies of a very vocal and often very articulate minority. The vast majority of Australians just want to let people be themselves and be free from any form of discrimination or hatred. That's it. That's what the vast majority of people want. That's why The Voice has support, because the vast majority of us understand that the colonial structures put in place 200 years ago were inherently discriminatory, and that breaking them down is a responsibility that flows through the generations. That for us to be truly a nation that respects, understands, and is fully committed to being a part of the oldest continuous civilization on this planet, we must make changes to our constitution, to our laws, and to our attitudes. So the media has to get more on board with this. And quite frankly, we, the people, have to continue to push, push through independent media like this podcast. You can support us, of course, at Buy Me A Coffee uh, slash week on Wednesday. That's obviously one way to do it. But more importantly, get involved in your union. There's a Unions for Yes campaign where they are running hard to support the Yes vote. There's also, of course, the Yes 23 campaign. You can check them out online as well, directly supporting. There are going to be activities in your community. Now, the media will give undue coverage to the No campaign. We've already seen, just since a price, complain that if the No campaign isn't funded by government, then she'll vote against the enabling legislation for the referendum. Why will she vote against it? Because the No campaign does not have the support. People overwhelmingly support the Yes campaign. The No campaign needs the money of the Commonwealth to prop up, to prop up its awful proposition, which is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people shouldn't be recognised in our constitution and shouldn't be given a voice on issues that impact them. Quite frankly, our media has to do better, has to do better. I was very heartened to see Dan Boucher on Insiders Today talking about the voice, talking about the journey that Aboriginal Australians have been on and getting very emotional about it, rightly so, rightly so. This is a watershed opportunity for our nation. And if the media covers it the way they've covered the New South Wales state election, the way they covered the Victorian state election, the way they covered the federal election, the way they covered the marriage equality plebiscite, we will see a disproportionate amount of media coverage for the no campaign and the yes campaign constantly having to justify its positions. Where's the detail about the no campaign? Where's the detail about what happens if the no campaign succeeds? 
what's Peter Dutton's plan for reconciliation if not this constitutional change? What's Jacinta Price's plan for reconciliation if not the voice? Where are those questions? If the media wants to focus on the no campaign, wants to give them a voice in this debate, then it should be asking those sorts of questions. Instead, they'll simply repeat the talking points and the sound bites of those individuals. So there's a lot there. There's a lot for us to think about as we go into the final parliamentary sitting week before the budget. Of course, it will be a challenging budget, but we'll talk more about that closer to the time. Once again, a huge congratulations to Chris Minns. You can catch the interview that Van and I did with Chris Minns in December, just before Christmas. We were fortunate enough to catch up with Chris and talk about how he is going to give New South Wales a fresh start. It's a very interesting interview. Uh, The links are on all of our social media. We posted a lot of them again last night. And of course, you can get them wherever you get your podcast uh, recordings as well. Van will join me for the week on Wednesday on Wednesday. Until then, remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.